This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 179, Coaching. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. When I decided to put together an episode on coaching, I wanted to get two preachers who knew the topic, both from a sports perspective and a church perspective. I definitely got the right men. Chris Emerson is the preacher for the Church of Christ in Lindale, Texas, and the host of the Excel Still More podcast. Terry Francis preaches for the Church of Christ in Chelsea, Alabama, and partners with Philip Martin to host the Do the Work live stream on Facebook. In the first part of our conversation, we will discuss the importance of mentors and mentoring in the Lord's Church. Timothy had Paul, Paul had Barnabas. We all have mentors, and we should all be mentors to others. That's the way we keep the gospel alive and vibrant for succeeding generations. How does mentoring work in the Lord's church, and how can we make it work better? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. I think it starts with understanding the need for it, which is why I appreciate you, Hal. I'm thankful that you're covering this topic, and I hope it helps people. The idea of helping to develop, particularly from the inside, something that I've noticed in local churches is you've got these young men who are turning into, you know, you have junior high and high school and And there are lots of men in our own local fellowships who can be developed, both dads and sons. And maybe sometimes we look outside of that and we think, well, let's find a guy out there we can help or train. And I've done that. I think there's value to it. But some of it is saying we need to try to widen the net and see if we can raise all the little boats in our own little cove. Um, Right now we're doing a little thing at Lindale where fourth through eighth grade boys, I'm meeting with them, working on how to lead prayers, how to build lessons, putting little services together. I picked up on that from Dallin Road from years ago. They have a little service every fifth Sunday for their young ones. So mentoring is important for the development of all the men in the church. You know, if you're going to end up with elders one day in their 60s who are great teachers and sharers, then probably when they were teens and maybe even younger, they learned how to teach and share, I guess. So the the broad net concept of everywhere, every local church, there's someone there who needs it and can benefit from it is uh, is an important concept I think we all need. When I think about uh, mentoring, I think about Elijah and Elisha. And I think what's interesting about that is that Elijah is essentially told to go find Elisha, right? And Elijah goes and throws his mantle on Elisha and I think in the New Testament, we kind of see some of that in Titus, where Titus talks about the younger women and the older women. The older women are supposed to, you know, we see teach, train, but the word there is really this. I mean, not sure the word, but the concept there is the same thing as mentoring. I think it begins with older members realizing there's a responsibility to do this. I think that's where we sometimes uh, struggle is because we don't see that as an obligation we have, probably. You know, Chris talks about the younger younger generation. That's fantastic, but uh, I think sometimes we forget. I mean, I, I know a lot of guys in their thirties and forties that still need this kind of push and this kind of mentoring, and that are more than content if we're not careful to just kind of sit around and and not do much. I think one of the things that I've had to come to the understanding is my, my role, and I know Chris agrees with this, my role in Ephesians 4 is to equip members to do the work. That's my largest role. It's not to do the work for them. It's to equip them to do the work. And so I have a responsibility 
rather than sit there and complain about people who won't do anything, I have a responsibility to mentor them in a way to get them into the work. Not everybody's a Timothy. You know, you got some guys that are Timothys and you got some guys that are Barnabas and you got some Epaphroditus over there and some Phoebes and finding out where they fit and, and what their, their best role is to serve the kingdom. That's part of our job. And that's part of what mentoring is, is figuring some of that out. I like those ideas and the idea of it's not just pulpit work. It may not even be the work that men do. There could be women's roles too that are important in local churches. I was thinking about the tattoo idea of, of every preacher. You want to be a full-time preacher, you need 2 Timothy 2, 2 tattooed on your forehead in, in reverse though, because it doesn't matter what they see. You need to get up brushing your teeth in the morning and see my job is to teach and make teachers. Now what that looks like, I like Terry's point that that could be one-on-one stuff. It could be teaching the young people's Bible classes. It could be some preaching and leadership, but it's just feeding. It's just sharing the word. We're doing the book of Hebrews right now at, at home in Lindale, and we're working through chapter five and chapter six. And I know it's uncomfortable for some to sit and listen to those two chapters. By this time, you ought to be teachers. Well, how much time? Five years? Ten? Like you give me the number when it's time for you to be developed to the point where you are in some form a biblical share of the gospel. And yet, to me, and I always think about it from the preacher side, and how you brought two preachers in today, so you, you know, that's what you get, is we as teachers at local churches ought to be thinking about that as a core concept of what we're here to do, to develop all these people in this church almost to the point where I could, Terry could, Hal could just kind of back out and say, you know what? There's a lot of sustenance here, a lot of feeding going on among the members, and now they're starting to develop teachers themselves. And I I can back out and maybe go do that elsewhere. Um, I don't know what that looks like in every place, but I I like where Terry's head's at in terms of like, this is the intentionality of it all. We want to accomplish that, and we're looking for it everywhere that we can. So mentoring ought to be a standard operating procedure. And then the candidates will kind of show up already. It's almost like when you pray for stuff like, God, please put a, a soul in front of me who needs to hear the gospel. And then they show up that day and you're like, God, thank you for putting them there. You're a very fast answer of prayers. And God's like, you know, he's actually been there for a few months. I was just waiting on you to notice. Uh, mentoring's a little bit like that, that I think that the pieces are already in place if we're ready to go. We have an intentional mentoring program we set up with our middle school, high school kids. And that's been everywhere we're at where we literally for, you know, about seven, eight months, pair them up with another member. And we ask that member to, you know, stay in regular contact with them and take them out to eat every so often and do some stuff with them. And uh, you're not allowed to have the same mentor back to back. And part of this was a was a way to kind of bridge that generational gap that always exists in most churches where you have these older members, younger members, and they don't ever really talk and intermingle. But part of that was to just help these kids see, hopefully, faith in action. The other part of that was it helped older people actually put their faith in action sometimes who might have been tempted. And the cool thing about this has been we've always let the kids basically say, here's three people I want to mentor me. From the congregation. So we let them choose kind of because I figure we'll get better buy in if they choose. But it's always kind of cool to see who they choose. And it's across the board. I mean, one year my daughter chose somebody who had who was a reasonably new convert. I think I've been a Christian about a year and a half. And to this day, they're very close. And it, it's just one of those things where it's been great. 
it helps bring people into the actual work of faith being in action, both generations, by the way. And I think we need to be more intentional about that. We can start off that way. And one of the cool things, the reason I said that is one of the cool things is that recently I got to teach at a VBS with another person. And that person is actually a kid who is a high school student, now is married and lives nearby, a high school student where I preached in Memphis. And a guy that I, for years, had done similar work that Chris had done with, is doing, talking about training about how to do the services and speak and the prayer. And so Keith Keith had been in my training program, and Keith's a brilliant kid. And I say kid, he's in his 20s and married, but... It was just kind of surreal to have that moment where we were teaching the parables of Jesus together for that vacation Bible school that week. And a lot of that happened, not just because of my relationship with Keith, but because of the mentoring Keith had with many Christians when he was a teenager that encouraged him to be active in the work. And you just see where he's at today. And it's like, those are the kind of things that to me, that's more important than as an evangelist, seeing your kids grow up and do those kind of things. And the other side of that, what Chris said, seeing that as part of our work, this is also kingdom work. This is not a work that's just for Chelsea or East Shelby when I was in Memphis or Hillview in Nashville. When you're training up the younger generation, chances are, you know, at least half of those kids are going to grow up. They're going to move somewhere else. They're going to be a part of a different church. And you're having an impact on the kingdom by helping train these young men and women to go somewhere else and to do the work of the kingdom. And both of you have brought up the idea of multiple mentors. Like you, you, you serve under one person for a while, and then maybe you go to another person. I've always been struck by professional golfers, for instance, or tennis players who will stick with a coach for a year, two years, five years, or whatever. And clearly they respect what that person has to say because they keep them around and they keep learning from them. And at some point they'll change coaches. I've gotten everything that I can get out of this person. I'm going to go find another coach and find somebody else to take me to the next level. And that new coach is going to come from a different perspective and may even contradict some of the things that they had learned in the previous training session, as it were. But simply the process of revisiting the basics and examining your game and examining what you do. I think that whole process, and when you see it from different angles, maybe that adds depth and complexity to this. You've all had elderly preachers that you have have worked under, respected, et cetera. I have too. They're not all the same. And that's good. That that can be a good thing. We can draw one blessing from one coach and one blessing from another coach. And all of it goes together to help us become the best that we can be in our place. It's interesting, your example. I mean, you could argue that sometimes you don't need to change coach. I mean, Tiger Woods basically would have probably broke the record if he had stayed with Bruce Harmon. It's kind of funny to think about that at one time. He changed coaches and he had a, I don't remember, Chris, you may remember you fall golf more than me, but he had a several, several tournament kind of dip where he didn't play well. I mean, I think multiple mentors is good as long as you're actually you know, making sure that you're choosing for the right reasons. Well, there has to be that core. Yeah sense of of identity, a sense of sport, a sense of what I'm trying to do. And you yeah. find somebody who's going to take you toward that place. Right. I, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes not everybody takes you towards that place. I mean, sometimes people think they are. And, it, you know, you could come. I think one of the things about mentoring and coaching is you can you can hook up with the wrong mentor and coach. If you're not careful, you can get with somebody who does take you down 
the wrong place. And the, the thing with uh, the thing where Woods comes into play is that the new coach messed with his mechanics. Eventually, he recovered, but. You know, there was a time period where the best golfer in the world was a struggling major because he chased a dream when he could have been content. I, I don't know that may there may not be application there. It just hit my head when you were telling that that you know not always is a is a new coach the answer either. Sometimes it's it's learning to appreciate where you're at. I think especially spiritually. You know, I know we're kind of moving this in the direction of mentoring preachers and training, and and all of us have been associated with some form of preacher training. And I've been in some neat things like in Beaumont where we bring in 5, 10, 15 preachers, and we'd work on things. We'd even listen to them preach sermons and do some critique and all of that. I've, I've trained some guys for different three-month periods like John Banning and some guys, just different things. We've all seen it. We've probably all been on both sides of it in some way. And I think golf is a good illustration because it's a one-on-one development thing. I perceive it as best done when mentors are teaching the text to these younger men. They're showing them how to study the Bible. They're helping them understand the Bible. They're getting them to make connections in Scripture. Maybe they're sharing some ideas with them, some lessons learned. And also these young men are kind of soaking up just the the older men and the way that they preach and teach and live and put it into practice. All of that is great. And looking back, I think the best mentors I've ever seen, and a lot of it is I didn't see it in, as it was happening. I just saw the men that were produced from it were men like Wayne Fancher here in Lindale, who just set guys down and studied scripture with them just intensely and and taught them the word and didn't do so much of, let me change your swing. Let's yeah. get your mannerisms are uh, off putting. Let's put them back on where people will accept them. The idea of of trying to change the uqueness of the swing. We'll get away from golf in a minute. We're just using it to set it up. It's <laughs> a good match. It's a good parallel. The way you swing, how short or long it is, the way that feels right to you and comfortable. If a guy comes in and says, we need to change all of that. That's I don't like that. It It doesn't fit what we do here. I just don't see that as helpful and it hasn't panned out very well but if you teach them look swing like that but there's still a few things that have to be right the point of impact or whatever and making sure you understand what you're doing why you're doing it what's going on around you that affects the decision that you're making Uh, I think that mentoring with text and letting the gospel in personality is as brother D would say let it ride out the way that it is, is very important. Anytime I've tried to change the hand motions, the voice undulations of someone else, I'm just tampering in a place that didn't bring about good results. Look, they'll either be capable or incapable based on the gifts they've been given. And they may find out they're just a good Bible class teacher. They may find out that they're an amazing one-on-one teacher, kitchen table teacher, Plenty of young guys have grown up not to be full-time pulpit ministers, but they're good one-on-one. But guess what they're still using? They're still using the stuff Wayne taught them. They're still living out this strong sense of intense love for others that somebody like Terry put in them through his daily schedule. So I think mentoring is an art in that way, but focusing on the right things should be consistent with all mentors and maybe dabbling in some of those other things. While tempting, isn't it tempting to say, okay, I'm going to fix you on this thing you do, may not really be the right, the right method. 
when I've worked with guys and I've, I've done five of those internships, I've always been very careful. I think the danger there is to try to teach them your swing. You try to turn them into, if you're not careful, little clones of yourself. I never wanted to do that because none of the five guys I worked with are, are like me. They're, they're not like me in any way. And what we tried to do was teach them how to teach in a way that was effective. One of the things we would do is, is we would pull several people of the audience every time they preached to see if their message got across. We would ask, you know, what was the purpose of this lesson? What was, and that's what we focused on was, were you effective? And anytime we tinkered with the swing, it was not about trying to turn them into a clone of something. It was, okay, you didn't say this effectively. So how do you say this effectively next time? Here's what you wanted to do. And here's how it came across. That's the one area that you do have to figure out because it, makes you ineffective if you don't get your purpose across. Chris is right. Look, I'll I tell you about mentoring. Sometimes I've got guys that worked with me that, that have never preached full time. And that's okay because they figured out in the process of that, that's not what they want to be. And that's still a service to them to help them figure that out. But all of them are active in teaching in their local congregations. All of them, to my knowledge, are still faithful and working for the Lord and will serve hopefully for years to come, regardless of whether that's in the pulpit or not. And we need those people there. I think Chris is right. I think we, when we talk about training, we've got to stick to more about this is how you read the Bible. This is how you understand scripture. This is how it all connects together. This is the message. Not, I want you to be so good that everybody just can't wait to hear you speak, even though they walk away not remembering anything you said. I think if we're not careful, we we create an entertaining evangelist who has no impact because while he's entertaining to watch and people don't struggle to stay awake, they can't remember anything he said. To me, that's, that's a failed opportunity. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of the dynamic stuff, the mannerism stuff, it's, it's just sort of a natural kind of evolution thing, you know, stuff that you tried doesn't work. It offends someone. Uh, it doesn't connect to the room like you thought. And so you cut it out because it didn't work. Not because some preacher with a notepad said, you know, you really should uh, should stop doing that. But also you you grab on to the people that you enjoy. I have a little bit of Steve Fontenot in me from growing up. Can't do anything about that. I have grabbed onto that and it's there. People say, I hear a little Tony Mock in there. I hear a little Mark Roberts in there. You know why? I listened to those guys. I loved those guys. I love those guys. Yeah. I listen and they didn't call me and say, you know, you really should do this like I do this. They wouldn't do that. They understand it's not about them. And it's not about, as Terry said, patterning it after these successful guys. But you will pick up on the things that you believe work. You go, man, Tony, the way he did that, like that worked on me. I, It's been a week and I'm still thinking about the way he said that. So you know what? I may, I may trust saying it like that or expressing myself with that pause or something. So the technical side to me is, I think there was a point when I overplayed that, like, hey, if I could get you to say it like this and look like this and move around like, boy, it's, how dumb was that? Just help them know the word. I think things like Jesus and the gospel and love, those are the fundamentals that we teach and we live and then the rest of it works out. And again, as Terry said, they don't have to become preachers. And I wish we could get more guys into full-time preaching. So I'm not kind of putting in a, hey, it's okay if you don't full-time preach. We need more guys. But the work of the kingdom is, I think one of the things we're kind of learning uh, maybe more recently is the true power of local churches, their evangelistic culture, their living spirit, 
it is not pulpit name driven. It's just not. Chris, you and I have been preaching about the same amount of time. And uh, I think when we started off, there was a, a real emphasis on who's in your pulpit. It was somewhat name driven, at least within the church itself, you know, especially when there was you're moving to a place or like a Birmingham area for me or Houston or whatever. You got 10 to 20 options within a driving distance reasonably in some of those places. So the key to having a successful church was having a guy that was good in the pulpit. And that put some pressure, I think, on us to develop that kind of a preacher. And I think we have changed in that mentality. I think the other thing is, I know I personally have changed. I mean, when I started preaching, I had a preacher's voice and I had like this whole almost persona you switched into. You know, I think all young guys do that. But as I get older, I tend to try to go to more of a conversational approach. Although I think sometimes there's some subjects I can turn into that preacher mode and I'm just going to preach at you a little bit. But, and that's not necessarily bad, but I'd rather just talk about what we're talking about. And I think the key to that, and that that gets back to when I worked with young men, and I think this is the key to how you you do want to do this, I think, Chris, and I think you agree with this. You want that person to be authentic in how they present things. Like if you're phony and fake and you're just imitating other people, everybody can see through that. I, I can't be Kevin Clark, right? Or I can't be Chris Emerson. I can't be D. Bowman. Like if I get up and try to use words D. Bowman used, that's – that is not Terry Francis. He doesn't understand those words like D. Bowman did. It's fake for me to do that. And if you try to get up and be something you're not, that's the quickest way to turn everybody off. I was at, I think the church was called College Park at the time in uh, Richardson, Texas. Now it's in Garland. Bob Bolton was preaching at the time. And he, I forget the topic, but he just said, I just want to talk with you a little bit about such and such. And I can remember that phrase having such a powerful impact on me that here's a a person assuming a mentor role. Basically, we're going to talk about this for a while, and and I'm going to give you my perspective on this, and and the not casual exactly, but the familiar and the comfortable tone that you can assume when talking to people who are looking to you as a source of wisdom, as a source of guidance. That kind of connection can be a very powerful thing. I think a very helpful thing. There's a place, obviously, for the preacher voice thing that Terry was talking about. But there's also a place for for sitting down face to face, and maybe it's face to 100 faces or 500 faces, and saying, this is where I'm coming from right now. And I want to connect with you on this level. If you have that gift, if you have that ability to connect, that's a very powerful thing. I love exactly what you're saying. I think at its best preaching and teaching, it feels like you're having a one-on-one conversation. The person in the room, there's however many people in the room, and they feel like you're just communicating right with them passionately, and they're drawing from that. And I do think that's the ideal. And helping people come off of that, you sound like you're giving a speech over our heads. You sound like you're just reciting things you rehearse. A little bit of training in that is is good. But I'm always mindful of interviews like this podcast like this and young preachers listening and them coming away discouraged saying, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. I, uh, I do think that what you're emphasizing, everyone does have that talent though. We're not asking you to build a persona. We're actually asking you to deconstruct that and just share, but you know, 
when you're sitting at a table having a conversation, there's no fanfare, there's no hands flying around, there's no slides. If you want to be interesting, you have to say interesting things. If you want to intrigue me, you have to intrigue me with content that is intriguing. And so we get back to some of what we said earlier, that content is king, sharing the truth and the connections you're making in the scripture and the way that the word is working on you. I love conversations with people. I don't care who it is who says, hey, I was reading in Second Corinthians the other day and something God said there has hit me in this way. And now I'm trying this. And I just think God laid that out for me. And I'm just listening, going, this is incredible. That's what the word does. And I love hearing it. And I'll tell them sometimes if it's one of the guys at church, you need to sign up for an invitation or a sermon and just tell everybody that. Just kid up and tell everybody what Second Corinthians 5 did for you. That's the beauty of preaching. And it I think it brings the fruit down to where everybody goes, hey, I can do that. Like That's accessible to me. It's not all pulpit work. He can share that, what I probably would have that guy do. In fact, what I had that guy do, that example I'm giving you a few weeks ago, was I said, hey, our high schoolers are meeting on the third Sunday night. Would you just go in there for 20 minutes and talk to them about that? Well, what do I do when I go in there? What should I bring? How do we do that? What if they just go in there and share that right there? And then, you know, ask them if they know what you're talking about. And of course, it goes really well. So I, I really like this deconstructing concept of mentoring back to sharing what the word is doing. I get asked all the time. I know Terry does. How to, how do you build all these sermons? How do you 100 sermons a year? Or in Terry's case, like 20. Um, <laughs> no, I think he's preaching every week. He's preaching every week. How do you do that? Sounds like you know, jealousy to me. Shocker. You just <laughs> read the word every day. Like you just read the word. I, I read the New Testament every 260 days. And I think I'm going to read the New Testament every 260 days, Lord willing, until Jesus is looking at me in the face and I'm facing him in judgment. Like, let the word do its work and then just share it, not you. Now, this is funny coming from me because I get criticism for sure about like mannerisms and methods and I don't like that you say it this way or do it that way or look that way or do your hands this way. Look, hey, that's me. That's the right. way I just happened to do it. That's your personality at this point. Like, you, like you, it or hate yeah. it, it's up yeah. to you. But And I don't want to block the content, so I'm always careful of who the critic is uh, because that's that's a big part of this too. But I don't want people to get up and do that like I'm doing. Just be you, but content. I think in the end, content is king. And I, I just want a lot of our younger men to know that. So when I was training guys, and I've not done that in a couple of years, but when I was training guys, one of the things in the very beginning of that that we would get into is I'm a manuscript guy. And I would say to them, you're going to do a manuscript. And I don't care if you go preach, if you ever do a manuscript again, but when you work with me, you're going to do a manuscript. And part of that is because I'm going to look at your content. I want to know everything you're going to say because I want to make sure it's what needs to be said. And I want to make sure it's scriptural. I want to make sure, though, that it's the most effective way to say it. Like you said, you've got to be intriguing. Like there is a part, and this is just me. This is one of the reasons I still manuscript. When I manuscript something, part of the purpose of that is I'm, I'm essentially like a speechwriter at that point. It's not just making sure that doctrinally everything is right when I put it, but I'm also putting in there things that I think are going to keep your attention so it is effective preaching. And so when I was training you guys to, to – to kind of talk about deconstructing them and just having them be themselves. You know, after every sermon, we would do probably about a, a 30, 40 minute breakdown of their actual presentation. 
But the rest of the week was about their content for their next sermon. I mean, the majority of everything you're doing is here's your assignment. Here's what I want you to preach on. And you spend five days in that review, exchange, review, exchange process of going, no, there's a better way. Oh, this is not the connection. Make the connection. You know, you're, and you're trying to teach them. It's the content that matters. And that content is mainly the way you use the word. But I'll admit part of that is the way you actually present what you're presenting is part of your content. And making sure you do that in an effective way, I think that is really important. And then when you get up, just teach it in your own personality. You know, I had one guy that was the oldest teenager I ever worked with. He was the youngest kid, but he was the most mature kid I ever worked with. And his preaching style was very kind of standstill, rigid, just, and it's like, that's, that's who you are. That's not who I am. That's who you are. It's okay. You don't have to cover the stage like I do. You don't have to move around and do big, wild gestures like I do sometimes, not always, but just be you. Don't be anybody else, but let's make sure your content's good. Let's make sure what you're saying is worth hearing regardless of what your gestures are like and whether you move around and and all that kind of stuff. Make sure your content's good. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.